Hi, and welcome back to Just Ask the Questions, a Sunday news show, Just Ask the Press, the game show where you can win millions of dollars if you guess just what the hell happened this week. <laughs> well, we'll try anyway. Uh, as usual, with with this is uh, former federal prosecutor Michael Zeldin and editor-at-large from CQ Roll Call and former White House uh, reporter for uh, CQ Roll Call, John Bennett. Today we're going to, uh, well, we're going to, well, we're going to unlock and, and unpack a lot of stuff, including the latest polls, which don't look good for Biden. The first big congressional deal for Mike Johnson uh, ties Israeli aid to cutting IRS funding. Meanwhile, in New York, the Don, well, he's taken third place again in our poll of news that's important, but he's uh, had his children testify this week. He's got to testify. Colorado's thinking of banning him and lots of other good stuff. So stick around for that. Then we have, uh, we'll go back to the Biden poll for the electorate, maybe talk a little bit about that. The looming government shut down the GOP debate preview. Texas Rangers won their first World Series. And of course, the last Beatles song. We can't forget that. So stick around. We got a lot to unpack. We will be right back. In this modern age of misinformation and deceit, Just Ask the Questions newsletter cuts through the BS and gets to the truth. With Brian's in-depth articles, columns, and exclusive content not released anywhere else. Get the scoop and stay in the know. Sign up for the Just Ask the Question newsletter now at substack.com slash J-A-T-Q podcast. Hi, and welcome back to Just Ask the Question. This is Double Jeopardy, where your chances of making money can really roll up. Uh, we're going to start out with uh, this morning's news. It's Sunday morning. The news that in key states, in five key states, Joe Biden trails Donald Trump. Now, if anyone's covered this administration like we have, you would understand that that's not too hard to understand why. But there is a columnist, a former uh, Obama official, who says, yeah, it's bad news, but you should do something with it. And that's Dan Pfeiffer to unlock that. Michael, let's start with you. You read the article. What did you think? Well, what he says is that this is serious, that the Democrats can't take this lightly and that they have a lot of work to do. What he says most prominently is that there's a knowledge gap about what Biden has accomplished and that when people understand more about the policies that have actually been implemented, whether it be drug pricing or tuition uh, remissions or infrastructure development, that they have a much more positive view of Biden. But 
those successes that people like are a well-kept secret from the electorate. And so what the article says and what others have said is that Biden has, and I've been saying this for a couple of podcasts, Biden should take a uh, cue from Truman in 48, where he yeah. trained stop, whistle stop the country talking about his uh, plans and his accomplishments. Biden has to get out and start telling people what he's done for them. And that when he does that, when he when people are encountered with this knowledge, they tend to think of him more favorably. And that's one huge problem. Then the other big problem is that there is a group of people he calls the double haters, people who hate Trump and hate Biden. And those people are slightly more Republican, male, but college educated than the overall electorate. And that those people voted more for Trump in 2016, and then more for Biden in 2020. Those people are leaning back toward Trump. And it's that group of the so-called double haters who would, who would prefer somebody other than <laughs> either of these two guys that are convincible because of their, you know, sort of education and general willingness to, to learn. So, he says it's it's a scary poll for Democrats. They've got a lot of work to do, but it's work that can be accomplished and be successful. We'll see. John, you said you were, after looking at the polls, you said you were, shouldn't have been surprised, but slightly were. What, what, what's your take? What did you mean by that? Yeah, I, if you really, if you go not, you don't have to go that deep inside uh, either the New York Times, Siena poll or the uh, CBS poll was out this morning, both awful for Biden to to realize what's really driving this is voters, um, especially in, in key swing states. The, the New York Times poll uh, really looked hard at six uh, swing states. It's it's the economy. It's still the economy, stupid. I'm not referring to either of you. Um, <laughs> the famous uh, James Carville line. That's all right. I've been called far worse, <laughs> and just yeah. this week in the last two days, I've so. answered. Yeah, I answered a far worse. So if you see yeah. me on the street, hit me up. Um, but but yeah, it's the it's the economy. They you know Trump by a wide margin when when voters are asked between the two gentlemen who they trust more with the economy and and who. Do they have more confidence that their own personal financial situation will improve if they're the president in January 2025? It, it It's Trump by a very wide margin. I believe Biden's down to 18 percent in, in one of those polls this morning. That's incredible. I don't know about you guys, but, you know, now that COVID is at least not what it was when I travel, airports are packed. Everywhere is packed. Restaurants are packed. People are spending money. It, it's a very strange economy right now. It's fundamentally strong, but the perception is 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 that the economy is is weak or teetering. Um, and 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 you know, before COVID, I think it was true that that the economy was was strong under Trump, and people remember that. And you know, Biden gives a speech. Brian, you know this as well as anyone. Once a week, Biden gives a speech and says the economy is strong and we've added all these jobs. 
but perception's reality. And right now, the perception among especially independent voters in those swing states is the economy isn't strong. And they blame Biden for that in big, big numbers. And if he loses too many of those independents, you know, in those six to eight states I've been talking about for six to eight months, um, boy, he's in trouble. Yeah. I, but but yeah, I will I, add this. I don't know how much it matters right now. You know what I mean? As, as right. long as Biden still has a puncher's chance, uh, because it's, ultimately this is going to come down to to a choice, Joe Biden or Donald Trump. And yeah, the economy and foreign policy and everything will factor into that. But this is going to come down to to two very different men and how those independent voters feel about them personally being president. So the polls are bad now, but I'm like, Michael, you know, I, I think Biden has a he's got a runway to fix it and to cast himself me versus Donald. Yeah, I look as far as it goes, it's a year out from the election. These polls right now are as fluid as as possible. Yeah. Is it bad news for Biden? Of course it is. But Biden has no one to blame but himself for this. His he he has to be single handedly the worst president I've ever covered when it comes to messaging from the White House. As much as they've done, as little as people know, they still don't understand that you have to fill the vacuum and it's hurting him. And hopefully they'll wake up for them. If if they want to win again, they've got to wake up to the fact that people need to hear early and often so that they vote once for them what it is that they're doing. And unfortunately, they seem to believe that if they say it once, that's all it needs to be. Or if if they put the president in the East Room or in a uh, a pool spray situation where he can as you said, you know, talk about how the economy is strong. And oh, by the way, his two, you know, in his stump speech, uh, there are, there's one word to describe America, possibilities, and yeah. he's still hopeful. Those are the big things that they plug in their, in their, uh, in his stump speech all the time. And yet they don't, you, you can't put the president in front of a pool. You can't, uh, a pool of reporters. You can't put the president in, uh, the dish room, I call it the dish room. <laughs> Diplomatic room. You can't put him in. <laughs> you just can't. He's got to be out in front of a bunch of people and he's got to talk to us and he's got to take questions. The more he's out there, the better it is for him. And it bothers me all the time, especially when I see pool uh, poll numbers like this, knowing full well that it's their own damn fault that it's like that. So that's that's where I'll leave that. <laughs> Meanwhile, speaking of big things going on in D.C., uh, and <laughs> John, you've got this. The first big congressional deal for Mike Johnson ties. This is what the House passed. Tied uh, Israeli aid to cutting IRS funding, which they say will save money, and which critics say, no, it's going to keep you from uh, going after the large tax cheats, the million-dollar-a-year-plus tax cheaters. And so it's actually going to mean less money into the uh, into the uh, bank account of the United States. I'll let you unpack that. Yeah, the uh, the House uh, this week passed an Israel aid bill, um, which usually would have gotten, you know, upwards of 380 to, to 400 votes in, you know, in some congresses, it would have passed unanimously, maybe one or two dissenters, of course. Um but this time, Republicans had to 
uh, eke it across the finish line. They did have some Democrats from from swing states and and um, and and people who are you know stakeholders for uh, for Israel and have populations and 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 all that. So it wasn't a bipartisan vote, but they did get some uh, Democrats. They they left out Ukraine funding. Uh, they left yep. out Taiwan funding, and they didn't add any border security funding. Uh, the White House had requested 106, I believe, billion dollars uh, for Israel, Ukraine, and Taiwan. The Senate very receptive to uh, the president's approach, and they they right now at least are talking about adding uh, funding and other things for the southern border. Um, and I think I think the president would sign that. Yeah. The problem is what Speaker Mike Johnson decided to do was just an Israel bill, I believe around $14 billion for Israel, uh, stripped out uh, from the administration's request any of that funding to go to humanitarian needs in Gaza. And he attached to it what Republicans said were an equal amount of cuts uh, to the Internal Revenue Service, of course, in the uh, Inflation Reduction Act, there was there was funding to add collection agents, and and what the administration said the intent there, as you alluded to, Brian, was to go after wealthy folks who haven't you know filed tax returns since 2007. Um, but you need bodies to do that. You need agents to do that extra work. Well, funny thing happened on the way to the Senate. Chuck Schumer said that's not a serious bill. We're not even going to take it up. So that bill passed. And Republicans got to make their point about the IRS, but that didn't do anything to to get this close U.S. ally Israel, um, you know, replenish their their rockets and missiles and tanks and uh, F-16s and all that stuff. And it's not so going to pass Senate, right? I mean, this so is Schumer said they're not even going to consider it. Yeah. He's not going to bring it up. So that bill is is dead. Uh, is dead and is dead on arrival in the Senate. So, you know, another week has gone by. And and an Israel bill is is no closer to getting to President Biden's desk. The Senate, uh, they had their first hearing. The Appropriations Committee heard from uh, Secretary of State Antony Blinken and Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin. The Senate is much more serious about this. And I, I do expect the Senate bill uh, in the next few weeks to 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 reach the floor. Um, just like any other time you try this, the the long pole in that tent will be actually the southern border piece. Can yeah. they agree? Can they agree on what what the billions that 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 will be proposed for the southern border? Can they agree on on the kinds of things that that would go to pay for and any policies that they want to adjust? Can can enough, can 60 senators agree? And it's also got to be something that might could pass the House. But here's the catch. Mike Johnson has not said that he would put any Senate bill on the House floor. And of course, that would pass with mostly, I'm I'm guessing that that would pass mostly with, with Democratic votes, meaning more Democrats in the House would vote for it than Republicans, but you would get to 218 and then the president would sign it into law. Um, we don't live in that era anymore. House Republicans are anti-spending, they're isolationist, um, despite what they might say. This is the MAGA. This is the MAGA part of the party. It, yeah. it lives in the House of Representatives, not so much in the Senate. It lives in the House. And, you know, 
there's bipartisan support to put all this together in one big package and get it to the president, sign it, and 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 help. And MAGA help. won't let it come to the floor. And, and Ma the it's a MAGA blockade right now. And I'm just not convinced that Johnson is is ever going to allow a hundred you know a hundred billion dollar bill with no offsets. And I don't. The Senate right now, the Senate's not going to offset this spending. Emergency spending traditionally has not been offset. It's just no, been, it won't be. Yeah. yeah, and and if there are no offsets, you know Johnson Johnson was elected majority of the majority the Hastert rule. I can't believe they still call it that. Um, well, I and, think and if problem. he's going to if he's going to abide by the Hastert rule on the floor for anything but a continuing resolution to keep the government open, um, I I don't see how he then keeps the his gavel. That's the that's the, the and, and they have the issue right there. there yeah, and by the seventeenth of November, this is all going to come crashing down. Yeah. And and Michael, I I like your thoughts from the outside looking. You know, we we get uh, caught up in the in the inside politics because we we're there every day. But from the outside, it's got to look like nothing but chaos. That's the most euphemistic way of describing <laughs> what it looks like from the outside. It's complete dysfunction. And you take the most basic things that need to be done, keep the government open, you know, fund the military, replenish stocks of armaments for Ukraine and Israel, things that seem to have pretty broad support in the country. And they have no plan to get any of that stuff accomplished. And so, you know, when you look at the dysfunction and Trump's promotion of this dysfunction, because you can't disconnect Trump from what's going on in the House. He is the one who, in large measure, sank the speakerships of those who are less MAGA than is Johnson. And he has yet to be blamed for this dysfunction. I think that going back to our conversation about the polling, when Trump has to come forward and discuss what his plans are for Israel, what his plans are for government shutdown, what his plans are for Ukraine, um, then I think his positions become known as for what they are, which is extreme and dysfunctional. And I think that redounds to his detriment or and hopefully to Biden's Betterment, not that I'm a huge fan of either of these two, but as between the two, you said, Brian, it's a fight between these two people. It's going to come down to this. I still think it's a fight between sort of our democratic, liberal democratic traditions and um, authoritarianism. And the election has to be continued to be discussed in those terms because a second Trump term will look terrifying compared to the first Trump term. The front front the first Trump term, I can't say that first Trump term will like be say the only know, Trump term, but go ahead. <laughs> will be will be seen as moderate compared to what the second term would look like. And I think it's I think that this dysfunction in in, in Congress promoted by Trump is sort of a silver lining for those who still support democracy and 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 
a functioning government. Look, the, the Senate Republicans are, are turning on their own. Tuberville, who is still um, the senator from Alabama, who is still holding up military promotions because of his insistence that military members who are pregnant be allowed to travel to states that offer abortion um, services. I think the more light is shown on this, the better the country is to realize that there is a cancer on the sort of democratic traditions of our country. And we have to stand up for it. Otherwise, now I was looking on the uh, internet today to see where I would move if <laughs> if Trump if Trump were reelected, and I had pretty much settled on returning to Italy, where I used to live when I rode bicycles and spoke Italian. And I thought, well, that would be good. I'll return to my youth. But then I read this article about these invasive, right. no, these inv invasive wasps. That are that are in Italy and their sting is like brutal and I'm allergic to bees. So now I'm stuck all over again looking for a new place. So, you know, we've got to we've got to figure something out because now that I can't move back to Italy. Stung by I'm, bees. <laughs> I'm stuck. Canada, you know, it's the Randy Newman song, Political Science. Canada is far too cold and <laughs> yes. let's drop the big one now, you know. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Well, what a thought as we cruise into break. <laughs> we can play, you can play on your intro, uh, yeah. Randy Newman's song, Political Science. It's a, it's, yeah, a, it's, a one, it's a great song. It is, actually. I do love it. But anyway, we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we'll talk more about the cancer that's taken over the country. <laughs> John, if you don't know that song, you should Google it and listen to it. It's very funny. I am right now. And we'll be right back. Hey, Just Ask the Question podcast listeners. If you've got a second, head on over to Twitter and follow our official page, JATQ Podcast. That's JATQ Podcast. In this modern age of misinformation and deceit, Just Ask the Question's newsletter cuts through the BS and gets to the truth. With Brian's in-depth articles, columns, and exclusive content not found anywhere else. Get the scoop and stay in the know. Sign up for the Just Ask the Question newsletter now at substack.com slash JATQ podcast. As we left, we were talking about the cancer in the United States. And of course, Randy Newman is great for that, but let's <laughs> at least addressing it. But let's talk about the New York Don and his uh, his trial updates. Michael, this week, his uh, Don's children testified in New York. Uh, Trump is going to testify next week in Colorado. They're talking about uh, barring him from running for office. And that brings us to uh, one hell of a news week. What you got for me, brother? So... In Letitia James' fraud case, that is a civil case where they are seeking money damages from Trump organization for defrauding the taxpayers of New York by valuing properties in different ways, depending on whether it suited them or not. The judge in that case has already found that there was a pattern of fraud, but there are other counts in the uh, complaint against him that still have to be proved. 
And so as the prosecutors go through the evidence to try to, one, convict, or it's not really conviction, it's find liability on the cases that haven't been solved and get damages on the, the fraud that has been already proved, Donald Trump's two sons uh, testified. And I think they took their um, coaching from um, Sergeant Schultz from ah. Hogan's Hero because they knew nothing, nothing. I know nothing, Hogan. Until, of course, they were confronted with the documents that said, oops, uh, I guess I did know something. I thought it was a terrible display of uh, testifying witnesses and a terrible display of prepping clients, if the lawyers were able to prep, prep these two, to testify. Because it was so transparent when you read the questions and answers that these guys were uh, suffering from convenient amnesia, that in fact, they knew exactly what was going on. They were right. heads of this organization and claimed, oh, it was just the lawyers. It's I said recently on CNN, it's like we sign our taxes at the bottom and it says, I hereby certify that I sign this and certify it's true. And you put your signature there. Then you filed the return and it's not actually true. And the tax people come to you and say, well, this isn't exactly true. He said, well, I didn't really read it. <laughs> I, I signed it, but I didn't really read it. You know, <laughs> well, you'll have time in jail to catch up on that reading <laughs> because that is a crime. And these guys signed all these documents and say, well, I didn't really read it. I just relied on the accounts, even though I was the chief officers of of this company so it was a terrible day i think and that doesn't release them. them from the responsibility right i mean you signed it you're responsible for it it's your responsibility to read a damn thing you, exactly you can't exactly. get out of it I, it's like an infantile evasion to me no you can't you can't claim ignorance and and avoid the consequences of your um signature on those forms so they testified next week uh, Monday, I think, Donald Trump uh, is scheduled to testify. And then later in the week, Ivanka Trump. Ivanka is, I think, an important player. She was the woman who ran um, point on the post office building, the hotel that they purchased here in D.C., where during the Trump presidency, all of the diplomats and everybody would stay. So he was essentially sycophants too you could go over there after work and meet everybody you didn't want to see during the office hours right but the, the that which brought him lawsuits under the emoluments clause was that essentially it was a, a well-known secret that if you want to curry favor with trump when you came to washington on official business whether you're a foreign country or a domestic corporation you better stay at the trump hotel yeah which they were profiting from um he hadn't disgorged himself from any of, of that so she was she was a, a critical player in that and then what does trump do is an interesting question does he you know just stick to his political talking points say this is a persecution and argue with the lawyers on every single point does he try to actually defend the valuations of his property to say, no, in fact, my apartment in New York is worth this amount of money or Mar-a-Lago is actually worth this amount of money and really attack the substance of Letitia James's allegations? Or does he take the fifth? 
he did that in the deposition and just yeah. say, you know, I'll stand pat and hope my lawyers on appeal can get the summary judgment that the judge issued in this case reversed and we'll start all over again. And we'll see. It's going to be interesting theater. It's unfortunate that it's not televised, but they have reporters in the courtroom following it, you know, moment by moment. I think Lisa Rubin for MSNBC does a great job um, recounting what's going on there. But but it's going to be fireworks, I think, in, in, in New York. I don't think it will necessarily change the outcome of anything. But if Trump gets on that stand and, and he starts lying about the valuation process, I think that what he has the potential to do is give the judge additional ammunition for exacting the most um, strict penalties available to him under law, which could be the disgorgement of those properties to un putting them in a receivership and um, denying Trump the ability to do business in, in New York. Well, let's clear one thing up, though. I mean, it's not this. There is a summary judgment already, and this is merely a I mean, you say he could get up and and fight and say, no, his, his thing is really worth that. We're not talking about whether or not he's liable for uh, for fraud. He's been found to be fraudulent. So this is just on partner, Brian. Let me just stop you. Brian, one second. Yeah, it, he's, he, there are multiple counts, if you will, in the complaint. Right. On on one of them, summary judgment has been issued. And that, as to that, we're talking about damages. But there are also other counts as to which liability has not yet been determined. So they got to prove liability on those other ones and then turn to what damages are due if there is a finding of liability. So you've got two things going on simultaneously. Damages on the summary judgment part of it and then liability plus damages on the other, other part of it. And John, but, this is, I'm sorry, but John, this, none of this is affecting his popularity right now, is it? You know, I was just thinking as Michael was walking through all that, you know, it's, and I was anticipating you asking me something like, you know, is this good for Trump politically or bad? <laughs> yeah. and so it's never a good day when, when you're in court. Um, but to your point, Brian, the Teflon Don, right? It yeah. This isn't sticking on him excuse me, in these polls, it's almost like people, voters, especially those independent voters in those six or eight states, um, it's almost like they're they're divorcing Trump. It's like it's almost like he's two different people. There's the politician Trump, former president, and then there's this guy who's got all these charges, um, but I'm not really paying attention to all that. I just want more money in my pocket. Yeah. And it's, um, yeah, it's almost like he's detached from himself. So there's two Donald Trumps. Everybody uh, ponder that for a moment. Um, I'm here to spread uh, uplifting <laughs> chatter into I, your ears. Two Donald Trumps. There one, are two Donald Trumps. I think there's more than two Donald Trumps yeah. myself. But there may be more than two uh, in Donald's head. I think there that's is a different as podcast. many as he needs to have. Yes. <laughs> so no, it's not. You're, you're, you're absolutely right. It's not hurting him politically. It will be interesting when Biden and his campaign staff choose to to really start hammering the message about all the charges and the fraud and excuse me, 
uh, the insurrection at the Capitol on January 6th and the, the, the alleged business fraud and, and overturning the election. When do they really, when do they decide to press the button and make the campaign largely about all of Donald's legal issues and the insurrection? They're not doing that right now. When, I think when Biden talks about this at length, it's a strong issue for him. I think, you know, he's really good. I, I still think he's good on foreign policy and and this democracy slash uh, Trump insurrection and, and overturning the election. I think the president is really strong when 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 he when he chooses to make that his message of the day or the week or the night or the moment. Um, but they're not hammering it right now. I believe the strategy uh, from from Team Biden is they view this as long term bad for Trump and they're just going to get out of the way and let folks digest it on their own. But at some point next year, I think they're really going to start hitting it hard and, and we'll see if the polls move in. We won't know really until, you know, maybe the 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 fourth or fifth week of them pushing that message. And they might have to get on that sooner than than they're planning. Yeah. And to that point is what I was saying, that it is a, an election, theoretically, between Trump and Biden, assuming right. they both make it to that point in the campaign. But I do think that the messaging of we are on a crash course for our democracy has to be front and center in the in the Biden message that bringing right. this guy back with the campaign theme of revenge which is what essentially he has said his um second term will be about getting even purging yeah. people mm -hmm. um i i just it's just hard for me to believe that you know and i'm not an optimist generally speaking <laughs> that america will vote for that I well, just it's just it's it's just so hard for me to to think about it, you know, and and Brian, you asked a series of questions about what's going on in in the Trump legal battles and two things come to mind that we haven't talked about on the legal front of it. One is. Trump is asking in the January 6th case that he be given absolute immunity from prosecution for his acts in trying to set aside the results of the the election. He's saying that whatever essentially the president does, it's the Nixon line, whatever the president does must be legal. And the way the law strikes, shakes out at the moment, there was this case called Nixon versus Fitzgerald. And this guy Fitzgerald, the government guy who gets fired by Nixon, sues in the court in a 5-4 decision says that the president is immune from civil lawsuit for acts taken in the course of his presidency, even if it's in the outer boundaries of, of that presidency. There's never been a decision about whether or not acts that are criminal in nature can right. be part of the, the, the official duties of the president. And that's what Trump is asking the Supreme Court, essentially the Court of Appeals, and then ultimately the Supreme Court to decide. And we'll see whether or not the court grants these you know essentially monarchical how do you i don't know how you say that monarchical yeah monarch powers of a monarch of a monarch yeah um or a despot or a dictator to, to to trump so there's that's something to keep an eye on what happens with this and and trump is using this to, to try to delay the january 6th case of jack smith and the mar-a-lago case um 
for the for the documents. So that's going on. The other thing to keep in mind that you asked me about is there are states, Minnesota, Michigan, Colorado, I think New Hampshire, where they are trying to keep Trump off of the ballot uh, on the theory that Article Section 3 of um, the 14th Amendment, which was passed after the Civil War, provides that anyone who was engaged in an insurrection or rebellion or gave aid or comfort to the enemies uh, shall not be allowed to hold office in the United States. And that was designed to prevent the people who left the Union to form the Confederacy from coming back and becoming you know, officers in in the the union again so it was it was particularly targeted against the confederate officers what they are trying to do in these states is to say trump engaged in insurrection in support of the january 6 uh protesters and or he gave aid and comfort to them therefore he should be disqualified under section three of the 14th amendment from holding office and there are cases going on all around the country on that point. I personally don't like them a lot because I think they're a bit standardless of what does it mean to have engaged in an insurrection or give aid and comfort to an insurrection. I much prefer those cases to be resolved after a criminal law finding that you did engage in insurrection, you know, a conviction for it. But regardless of my thinking about whether it's an appropriate thing to do or not, these are lawsuits that are going on all around the country to keep Trump off of the ballot. Yeah. And let's talk a little bit about what, what <laughs> that may be nebulous to some because <clears throat> giving aid or comfort, I mean, as you said, it's, that is a nebulous thing. There's been no conviction. It's just accusation. So it's very hard to stick. And Donald Trump is very good at skating. So I, I don't know that any of this sticks, but I want to go back to, I do want to mention uh, a, a piece in the Washington Post today, uh, co-written by Joss Dawsey, Isaac Arnsdorf, and Devlin Barrett, that starts out saying, Donald Trump and his allies have begun mapping out specific plans for using the federal government to punish critics and opponents should he win a second term. The former president has named individuals he wants to investigate or prosecute. His associates are drafting plans to potentially invoke the Insurrection Act on his first day in office to allow him to deploy the military against civil demonstrations. And in private, Trump has told advisors that he wants the Justice Department to investigate one-time officials and allies who become critical of his time in office and that uh, talked of prosecuting officials at the FBI and Justice Department. And he wants a special prosecutor to, quote, go after Biden and his family. Now, right. that's the revenge tour that, yes. I, that I mentioned. And, and if that's all I'm about, on it, <laughs> no, but I'm saying and, and well, that may be a reason to vote for Trump, but um, <laughs> no, no, even, I'll be a victim of it. But that's what I mean. That's what I I'm know saying. what you're saying, you bastard. <laughs> no, but I'm saying if that's the on the ballot, <laughs> do we want the next four years to be a revenge tour, almost like, uh, you know, I don't know. I don't know what a banana republic is, but, uh, you know, uh, what you think of as a, you know, cinematic banana republic, the, the coup d'etat and the new military leader comes in and he 
rounds up all the opposition and they're never heard from again. That If that's on the ballot, I just can't believe that Americans on any stripe um, will vote for that in, in majority numbers to elect him. It just, it seems so anathema to everything that we've, you know, represented ourselves to be. But as I said, but for these damn wasps in Italy, I'd be <laughs> looking into their retired uh, visa program. <laughs> uh, John, I don't know how we top that, but go for it. <laughs> Not going to try. Not even going to try. You got to come in somewhere but, under that bar. Yeah. Right? That's bar for the course around here. But, um, but wow. To the point, what they're saying, this is a revenge tour. This is serious. Yeah. And it ties back to what we were saying at the beginning. But Biden, why are why are we hearing from this from reporters? And why isn't this part of the campaign? I don't know. Again, I think it will be. Um, I, I I think they're saving it to, to everything, to every point that Michael just made. That's the reason why they're saving it. They, I, I suspect, and knowing this team and how it operates, that this... All of this about Trump, everything that Michael just said, um, it does set itself up to be a nice closing argument for Biden, doesn't it? Yeah. But as I was trying to say earlier, can they wait that long? If these poll numbers don't turn in their favor, um, you know, by next summer, uh, then, yeah, he might he the president might have to, to get on this message sooner. He might have to start at the convention in his acceptance speech. Um, next summer but that's in august of next year so that's about the time that you would want to start uh hammering this home but to michael's uh just to 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 not clear michael's bar but uh maybe to doink off the crossbar um <laughs> yes away. That, uh, why did our voters and this is a question i'm, I'm going to do this annoying reporter thing yeah. uh, we call this a thumb sucker in the business are voters that selfish that they'll accept everything you just said about Trump and what it means for democracy and American traditions, but he's better on the economy and I'll have more money. I'll put up with the revenge tour if I feel like my finances are better. Then that we're going to find out. Well, that's what they're betting on, aren't they? I mean, yeah. in essence, that's, that's what Republicans that, are betting on. Right. That's yeah, what we're going to find you out. You won't but mind can't. losing your civil liberties as long as you're able to sleep soundly at night and put food on the table. I want yeah. that. I want that new big screen in the PS5. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. I guess the question is, were there a government, a Trump government that was on a revenge tour? How would global markets respond to it? And I can't imagine a, a, a presidency that is isolationist. I mean, remember, his is the guy who tried to dismantle NATO. NATO. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We're in a. We're in a. We're in a proxy world war. At the moment, uh, yeah. Can you imagine what the 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 capital markets response to American isolationism uh, would be. It would seem to me economically catastrophic, and so this notion that he's going to come and re, you know restore happy economic times, which they actually were not, just like the lie of of the Reagan years. There was not happy economic times. No, it was tough. He well, besides which, he he put us in such debt that for the next twenty years we were bailing out from under his voodoo economics, as George W. H. W. Bush called him. Um, I just can't imagine that this is good economic news. The the uh, a possible Trump 
second term. So, you know, I think John's right that it'll be a question of do people pick their selfish economic interests over, you know, global peace uh, or something, democracy or some something like that. But I don't think that it even will be a choice because I think a revenge tour by an isolationist president will not be good for the global economy. And on that happy note, note <laughs> we'll, we'll take another short break and we'll be right back. Hey, you. Yeah, you. We're talking to you, and we need your help. As you probably know, independent journalism is a vital pillar of our democracy. Like everything else, it's not free. We're asking all longtime listeners of the show to help support us by becoming a member on Patreon. For the price of a latte, you can help guard democracy. Join us today at patreon.com slash JATQ podcast to help us keep bringing you the podcast you love and the facts you deserve. Hi, it's the King Biscuit Flower Hour. Uh, all happy thoughts all the time. Actually, it's just ask the question in our weekly show, Just Ask the Press, as we unravel the events of the week and assign appropriate blame to all the assholes who've screwed us over in our life. Now, we're, we, we're, we take a look at all the different uh, news of the day, and when we left, we were talking about well, well, we were talking about Donald Trump, unfortunately. In this uh, uh, last section here, I want to take uh, a, a quick look. We've talked a little bit about a looming government shutdown. Uh, MAGA Mike versus Mitch McConnell is a big part of that. And I, I, we could touch on that briefly. But the Texas Rangers, let's, let's talk serious here. The Texas Rangers won their first World Series the Rolling Stones put out their best album in years, and the Beatles have put out their last final song. Those are all reasons to be happy, uh, I I suppose. Uh, and, and Bob Dylan is hey, wasn't he? Who was he singing last week? Gershwin. I mean, I, I it was. So it's been a great week for music, as everyone stares at me with a blank face. But. Uh, <laughs> I'll so I, I I posted I posted on on Twitter. I very rarely post um, anything on Twitter other than listen to my podcast or something. But I posted a a comic strip, uh, a one panel thing, which was a record store, which says in the in the window out now Rolling Stones number one album, new Beatles single single, Rolling Stones number one album new. Beatles single and there are two people walking by the saying wow just how far do they turn the clocks back <laughs> you know so you, you you've got um daylight savings time a new Rolling Stones album Beatles single a brand new Bob Dylan um book and museum yeah. out in Tulsa Oklahoma you know oh man yeah. we did the good, old, the good old days Maybe after this podcast, Brian, we can go um, to the Fillmore East. Yeah, that, that's, <laughs> or if we're lucky, we'll go to the whiskey and catch the doors. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, saw, I, I saw little Richard at the Whiskey A Go Go um, in L.A. That was an unbelievable that would, concert. That would be a hell of a show. But yeah. the Beatles, I'll tell you this. Uh, a lot of people I know that are Beatle fans, and we did a whole show on it. So I won't touch into it. You know, uh, I won't touch on it too specifically, but a lot of people I know 
picked it up. And when they saw the video in particular with all the Beatles in the video, it took them to tears. To me, I got to tell you, listening to the song, as I was listening to the song for the first time and then saw the video, uh, it was wonderful how they now people have said they used AI. They what they did was they used filters, AI filters to separate John's voice from the um, piano track, which it was all together. It was on one um, cassette, one cassette tape. So they took it apart and isolated his voice. And that's it. There, there was no artificial John involved. It's John Lennon's voice. So when I heard it, when I saw the video, the only thing I could say, it was like if you hadn't seen a very good friend of yours for many years and you saw them again and you picked up right where you left off, that's how it seemed to me. And because um, I there's just that's 43 years since John has passed almost to the day by the it, December 8th, 1980, when he was gunned down. We're still trying to get decent gun laws ever since then, but that's a different story. But anyway, so 43 years later, it, it just to me was very touching. And I'm a first generation Beatles fan as, as you are, Michael, and as you aren't John, but <laughs> what'd you, you heard it. What'd you think? Who are you asking? John. Yeah, I, I thought it was. I thought it was very moving. I thought it was uh, definitely a throwback, and you know, I think you mentioned the harmonies uh, earlier. I, I thought yeah. it was, you know, it, you could close your eyes and and go to a world where uh, they were still together, and and some of the awful things uh, that happened uh, hadn't. hadn't happened. Yeah, it was really, it was really cool. I'm glad that they uh, that they did that. Michael McCartney tells a story. I've been trying to find it on the internet about how this notion of here and now that those were john's words to to paul you know think of me here and now and then rather yeah he was at the uh dakota the story is paul was at the dakota they had um and they would meet there occasionally in fact there's a story that he told of they were watching saturday night live together one night when john belushi was pretending to uh, get the beatles back together and uh they thought about hopping in a cab and going down there and actually being on Saturday Night Live, Lorne Michaels, it was a, and, and Belushi was playing Lennon and Aykroyd was playing uh, Paul. And so uh, it was supposedly they would get together for $5 or whatever. And and they were bringing peace in the Middle East. And now they would bring peace among the Beatles. And Lennon and McCartney thought, well, hell, we'll go down there. And then John said, ah, oh, let's just play some music. <laughs> they decided not to go. But they would see each other at the Dakota. And one of the last times that uh, that Paul saw John, he he tapped him on the shoulder and said, hey, old friend, think of me now and then. Yeah. And um, it's got to bring a tear to your eye to think that 1980 is so many years ago. And, and George is gone since yeah. 2001, I think. Is it yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. He died right before the uh, 9-11 as I remember. And he was 58 and he died of cancer. Hell, Lung he cancer. Almost, yeah, he you was know. almost murdered in his house too. Yeah. Um, and it was his wife, Olivia, who stopped the intruder from killing him much in the way that John had been killed. So, yeah. But anyway, to the, to the happier side of it, it was just, it was just nice to hear all of these guys of yeah. together. And you can close your eyes, as John said, and, and think back to, happier times and then you can also think you know sort of what if what you know what what would the Beatles be he I think McCartney said once that 
he thought that if the Beatles had stayed together and continued to play, it might sound more like electric light off orchestra than they did um, in previous songs. But regardless, can you imagine Lennon and McCartney still <clears throat> banging out music? It'd be yeah, I, I mean, you think about the traveling Wilburys and and Bob and and and, uh, and Tom Mike Petty, yeah. yeah, and Tom Petty and Jeff Lynne and and George, and then you think about and and of course, uh, if if the Beatles had been a part of, yeah, and and you think about all those solo albums and what what could have happened if they had worked together on some of those songs that were in all their solo albums. They they invented a solo career after a band. I mean, they did so many things and. It, it, the hardest part for me is the what if because that's the poignant part that's the part that hurts because um it would have been better had they been together but it as i always said the whole was greater than the sum of the parts and yeah. so that's the hardest part as a as a beatle fan anybody appreciates good music it's knowing what could have been but Dude, there are I mean, you think about, Brian, what you and I at our age lived through uh, and, you know, the sort of what ifs, John what if, Kennedy. what if, what if neither Kennedy was assassinated? Right. What if Dr. King uh, was not assassinated? What if John Lennon hadn't been assassinated? I mean, these are, prof what if Malcolm X hadn't been assassinated? These are profound history changing assassinations. It, yeah. it it's you know not to mention Humphrey losing to to Nixon and Hillary Clinton losing to Trump. I mean there are a lot of things that you know what if moments that we live through happen. You don't know the ripples yeah. of the pond. Yeah, so yeah. that's yeah. you're right. That's one of the, those what ifs haunt me all the time. And there are people that go back and say you know these these are the toughest times we've ever lived in. And John, I'll you know I these are tough times for all of us. I go back to 68 and um, when we lost Malcolm X, Martin Luther King and Bobby Kennedy in a short series of months and uh, Johnson dropped out of the race. Nixon got in. Humphrey won for the Democrats. There were riots in uh, Chicago uh, during the Democratic National Convention and folks above and beyond all of that, that was the middle of the Tet Offensive and there were boys coming home in body bags and we were close to as close to nuclear conflagration then i suppose as as we are now it just seems it seems more acute now for some reason john why do you think that is do you think social media and and you know cable news and it's it's just it's always right in our face i mean i've got my phone right here and it's already lit up while we were doing this it's 10 times you know. Yeah, so I, I wonder if shit. you can't yeah, get away just, from it. What you just listed there for 68 alone, and, and I was thinking to myself, is this tougher than just say 68? It, is 2020, 2023 or 2020 with COVID um, really worse than 68, for example? Or is it just that it's always right here in our face? Yeah, I think the answer to it from my standpoint is it's worse now because you've got a political party, an entire political party with maybe a few individual exceptions within that party, a, a, a whole political party who doesn't seem to support democracy. And I think that's very different than what we experienced in the 1960s or even you know through the Nixon administration. Look, you, you can't get 
um, a Barry Goldwater walking into to Nixon and saying, you don't have my vote if this goes to impeachment um, in the Senate. There's no um, profile and courage uh, Republican. The only one that, you know, has sort of come out is it, is Romney. The others, you know, Kissinger, Kinzinger, and others, they quit um, right. rather than, uh, rather than um, fight the good fight. Now, they may have lost their seats, but they should have gone down swinging in 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 my mind i think to to walk away from this um did the country a, a, a grave disservice i would say i appreciate everything you just said michael and agree with it except with this exception everything that we see today i believe the seeds were planted in 68 and it was nixon coming out of Goldwater, and it was Nixon who fundamentally lied and, and tried to negotiate a, a peace with uh, North Vietnam as he ran, illegally tried to, as he ran in 68. Everything he did set the table for Ronald Reagan and for what's gone forward. So that's all. And of course, I think social media exacerbates the problem and at the same time, hopefully will help solve the problem because more people can be closer and become more aware. It's vetting the factual information that we don't do very well. And unfortunately, that's why I think, yeah, I today today's bad. But so far, the, the one thing that I, I draw some solace in is that we're not seeing American boys coming home in body bags. And I just remember when we lost my next door neighbor when I was a kid and how traumatic that was. I've never forgotten that. So yeah. that's the one thing I'll say is is different. But as far as the threat against democracy, you're absolutely what's the term? Balls on accurate. Yeah. John? Well, someone I wrote, someone I interviewed for my podcast, I can't remember his name. The book was called Free the Press. Who was and that asshole? I don't remember. <laughs> but 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 the taking this thread of Nixon and particularly Agnew, because it was Agnew who was the yep. attack dog um, during the um, Nixon administration, mm -hmm. leading up to Reagan and the elimination of the Fairness Doctrine, which gave rise to Rush Limbaugh yes. and and the attack radio um, that, that, that ushered in. I mean, there's a through line there, Brian, yeah. that you lay out well in, in that book, which we are seeing, you know, sort of, whatever the expression is, chickens coming home to roost. This is, you know, Nixon, Agnew, Rush Limbaugh, uh, end of the fairness doctrine on on steroids. But yeah. the difference is, as I think Heather Cox Richardson in my podcast conversation with her says, then it were pockets of people who believe these things. Now it's an entire political party. That, that subscribes to that. And that's a fundamentally different state of affairs. I think it's pocket, multiple pockets that found a common pocket. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, to plug my podcast just one second, then you let me do it. Final words you know, anyway, go ahead. <laughs> you know, but I'm saying not so much my podcast, although it is, but Heather Cox Richardson, who I think is a terrific writer, um, and I had this hour long conversation about this exact issue. And so if people are interested in it, there's a part two to what we're talking about here with her 
who's way smarter than 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 me and can articulate the dangers that we face um, much more lucidly. So where else can we find you, Michael? Because we're going to let you plug away. <laughs> well, no, that's the only place you can find. Well, you can find me on TV every now and then. Um, but uh, principally, I devote my time to the podcast that said with Michael Zeldin found on major podcast apps and probably some minor ones too. Yeah, wherever fine podcasts are sold. And John, I'll let you plug away too. Yeah, uh, rollcall.com uh, every Friday. Uh, they keep letting me write these columns and I hope uh, people will read them. <laughs> and the name of this podcast is Just Ask the Question. If you want to uh, take a look at more on the Beatles, we sat down with a, a very diverse group. Me, James Rosen from Newsmax, and John Fugelsang from Sirius XM and talked about all three of us big, huge Beatle fans bringing us together to talk about that. The name of the book is called Free the Press, and you can and you can catch me every week in Salon.com, although I don't write the headlines. Read the damn articles. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I, I read your I read the criticism of you about the headline, and I remember writing an op-ed piece in i forget where the wall street journal or the new york times or washington post way back when and the let's call it the post i don't remember who it was yeah. don't doesn't let you write your own headline you That's can write right. the story they write their own headline and they wrote a headline which i just absolutely hated and disagreed with and they said you know too bad we yeah. write headlines you write you know your opinion piece and i said well, i don't want my opinion piece under that headline and they said, well, you know, too bad. Too, you know? Yeah, that's, exa the, the, that's the, exactly the, how most the, publications are. The type, the typesetter has set the type, you know, <laughs> and, we're not, and we're not taking the little blocks out, you know. Yeah, you're screwed, blued, and tattooed, yeah, fella. Yeah, that's yeah. <laughs> Been there, done that, got the t-shirt. Look. Just, so if you want to write your own headlines, you have to do it on your own sub stack. That's it. That's right. <laughs> Otherwise... Just take a few more minutes and read more than 10 words. That's all I'm asking. You know, I'll say it this way. It, it's beautiful in its brevity, the Gettysburg Address, 272 words. However, if you just read the first 10, the equivalent of a headline, four score and seven years ago, our forefathers brought forth what? What did they bring forth? Well, <laughs> no, the, but the, the, the thing that's, that uh, makes me smile about that is that when they say that when Lincoln delivered that speech, it was such a profoundly moving speech that the audience was sort of like stunned silent. Yeah. And um, so you can see the headline. Nixon, um, Lincoln's speech falls flat. <laughs> <laughs> Lincoln talks oh, too short of time. That's, <laughs> nobody reacted. Right. No reaction to Lincoln's speech. I had it, uh, Read uh, the uh, damn articles. It's I, not that hard. And I had it. Call me an asshole. Go for it. Right. I had a dream. Yeah. So what? So I, I always have dreams. <laughs> what kind of dream was it? I'm telling you. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. Anyway, no, I'm with you. You just you just got criticized, I saw, for a headline of a piece. Yeah, you, that you I wrote. didn't write. <laughs> right, right. That's what that's what this is all about. Yeah. Poor Brian. Poor, you know, sad sap Brian, who's unreally yeah. able to defend himself because he's so shy and retiring. 
<laughs> there you go. Anyway, so I think the next uh, column I write, I wanted to have the, and maybe I'll put it on Substack. It should be under the headline, read the fucking article with, you know, uh, it bleeped out. But anyway, so <laughs> the show has just asked the question. Guys, thanks for joining us. We'll catch you all again next week. Same bat time, same bat channel. Peace.